All right, open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. We're continuing our series we've entitled 714. How are you doing with our 40 days of fasting and prayer? Outstanding. Boy, that sounds outstanding. So, but I find maybe it's like you. I think we're a little over the halfway point. So, if, you were, if you've been tracking days, I think we're a little over halfway. And uh, fasting has always been one of the most challenging disciplines I've ever tried to tackle, and it continues to be that way. But I'm trusting and trying to press beyond the physical realities of just desiring food and how long it is until I could eat to actually using the time to seek. God. So 714, the series is based on 2 Chronicles 714, and Justin and Ian, did they not do an outstanding job the last two weeks? Let's give it up for Justin and Ian. You guys are outstanding. Really appreciated their heart and passion behind what they shared with us as we're talking about, like, if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face, God promises to do some amazing things, and that's what this series is about. We feel like these 40 days, we should be primarily on our knees and on our face before God. And so the message this morning in Mark 5 is built around one phrase uh, that may not be well known that Jesus spoke in a setting. It's the phrase, Talitha kum. Say that with me. Talitha kum. Online, you can post it up there, online host. Talitha kum. It means arise, wake up. Several years ago, there was a a little bit of an elderly uh, woman who was attending the church and uh, she had been tending for several weeks, and she came up to me. I didn't know her well. Uh, she had been maybe a month or so, and she came up after service one day, and she said, Pastor Eric, and she introduced herself, and she had some of her family with her, and she said, Pastor Eric, I just want to let you know, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of the church. She said, of course, you're always welcome here. And she said, I just want to let you know that when I come and attend, there's a good chance that during the course of the sermon, I'm going to pass out, like fall asleep cold. I said, really? And she said, well, I just didn't want to alarm you. I said, well, actually, it happens quite a bit, you know, like people just kind of, you know, pass out. But she goes, no, I, I struck. She goes, and then she says, no, seriously, I, I struggle with narcolepsy. And her family's standing around her and they're like, yeah, you know, like we took her car keys away and all that stuff. They were telling me. They said, literally, her daughter steps in. Her daughter says, yeah, like mom will just, in the course of sitting in a blue chair in the middle of a sermon, she'll just go out cold. I said, well, I really appreciate you telling me that. And then the daughter says, don't worry, we've got plenty of family around her. We'll catch her. I said, well, that's going to be outstanding. I don't don't know how long they hung around. I kept waiting for the scurry of blue chairs, you know, that were happening. Oh, that's all right. It's just narcolepsy going on over here. Well, it got me thinking about the condition of spiritual narcolepsy. Times when we're just kind of like trucking along in life physically and then just spiritually, out cold. This is Mark chapter 5. This is what Jesus, I think, is getting to beyond the physical into the spiritual. Verse 35, we're going to pick up the story there. While Jesus is still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Jairus, synagogue ruler, had a situation going on at home. Your daughter is dead. His daughter had been sick. She's 12 years old. We'll see later in the text. And they go and they go, we know Jesus can deal with like someone who's sick. So they go and try to find Jesus. So they say, why bother the teacher anymore? And then ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Underline that in your Bibles. Don't be afraid, just believe. I wonder if somebody's here this morning just to hear Jesus say that to you. Or somebody join us online, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid that 
what is will remain always what will be. Don't be afraid that current circumstances and current realities will remain unchanged. Don't be afraid at what you can just see with your own physical eyes. Because right now, the family of Jairus, the friends of Jairus, they simply see a 12-year-old girl whose illness went to death. And Jesus sees something else here. Jesus is seeing that current reality can actually change. Jesus is seeing beyond the physical into something that is spiritual. Jesus said, hey, don't be a, believe, believe that mountains can move, that seas can part. Believe that Jesus hears you, Jesus sees you, Jesus is aware. And believe this, that Jesus is coming to your house. And church, how many of you know this? When Jesus comes to the house, you don't have to be afraid. He's going to change some things. Just believe. Jesus is coming. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, some of you, as you kind of lean into that and, and feel that, whatever personal circumstances you may be carrying, some of you come in this morning and you're staring at a mountain of stuff. You've got no idea how you're going to get through what you're staring at going through. You're like a Gabriel and Tisha Garcia in your own sense, kind of one wave after another of unbelievable circumstance, kind of take your breath away stuff, and you go, if Jesus is coming to my house, I don't have to be afraid. But deep down, if we're honest, we struggle with this thought, like, I know Jesus is coming to the house, but it feels right now like He passed by my house, like He's attentive to all my neighbor's houses. Anybody been there? Where maybe you've been fasting and praying and calling out to God and longing to see Him break through and break in on some ways, and you know He hears you, you know He sees you, you know He has the power to part the waters, you know He has the power to move the mountains, you know all that. You've heard about all that. You've perhaps seen some of that in others' lives. It's as if He walked in the neighborhood by your house to everyone else's house. Don't be afraid. Jairus, just believe. Believe this, that even if you haven't had the experience of him coming to your house recently, it doesn't mean he's not coming. It just means this, something we talk about a lot around here, the mysteries of this spiritual life, the mysteries of why he's choosing to go to Jairus' house and then a few chapters uh, later with Lazarus in John chapter 11, he chooses to not go at a time when he was most needed. What do we do with those scenes? He shows up, and then he doesn't show up. He comes through, and he apparently doesn't come through. He heals, and sometimes he doesn't heal. And that the mysteries of this spiritual life aren't the absence of meaning, as I put in your notes, mysteries Mystery isn't the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. That if you're here today or you're listening online, joining us from wherever you're joining us from, if you've got this tension inside of you when you hear this story in Mark 5, when you say, Jesus kind of grabbing hold of your shoulders, looking in the eyes, say, hey, don't be afraid. 
Just believe. If something wells up with inside you, say, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. That, that rest and lean into this, that there's just more going on in the scene than you're able to fully grasp and comprehend. That God's up to something in ways. He's, he's got a picture and a story, and he's, he's got a script going. He's got a painting happening. You can only see a segment of it, and he's working in a much bigger way. And to rest in this, make no mistake, he's coming to your house. And when he comes, he's going to change some things. My experience is it doesn't happen in the time frame that I expect or in the way that I expect. Jairus and his family expected Jesus to come before she took her last breath. That would make a whole lot of sense, right? <laughs> but as we see, he's coming after. And maybe that's for someone in the room today. That Jesus hasn't passed by you. He hasn't forgotten you. He does see you. He does hear. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. Watch what happens. Verse 37. He didn't let anyone follow him. So he does get to Jairus' house, except Peter, James, and John. Kind of the inner circle with the disciples, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, much like what will be at Rory's funeral this afternoon. There will be wailing appropriate when a loved one passes away, especially at such a young age. There's wailing, there's crying, there's emotion. That's what's going on here. Jesus steps into all of that. Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Underline this, the child is not dead but asleep. Huh? And look what they, the text says, but they laughed at him. I don't think, it's definitely not a laugh of filled with joy in the belly laugh. This is a laugh that has like a mocking, condescending, like, yeah, right, that kind of laugh. Like, Jesus, you just go back to reading your Bible. Go back to the synagogue and read your Bible. Like, you're up to something else. We got, this girl's dead. She says, no, not dead, but asleep. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Like there, there's so much going on in our lives that we just don't see. We don't see what's ahead. We don't see around that corner. We can't put this together with that. We just can't see. So we pray and ask God, give me the eye of faith to see into what I can't see. And Jesus is bringing that to Jairus' house right now. Don't be afraid. Just believe. She's not dead. She's asleep. This current reality, the way it is, isn't the way it's going to be. Someone needs to hear that today. The way it is, isn't the way it's always going to be. And that's based on Jesus. Because he's showing up, and he's going to change some things. And they can't connect it, so they're laughing, they're mocking, they're kind of sarcastic about it, I'm sure. And after he put them all out, he kind of said, hey, everyone clear out of here. He took the child's father and mother, notice that, he wanted mom and dad to be in the room, and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and they went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I love the Bible, the sentences in the Bible that are like the greatest overstatement ever. Are you kidding me? Like one sentence, they were greatly astonished. No doubt, right? 
I mean, Jesus just took a 12-year-old girl who had drawn her last, last breath and breathed resurrection life back into her, and she got up and walked around. He changed. He got to Jairus' house, and he turned a death into a life. He brought telethicum. He brought an awakening beyond the physical into the spiritual. He helped their eyes see what they couldn't see. All they could focus on was the circumstance of current reality, and Jesus gets to the house, lift up your eyes, and I'm going to show you beyond what you can see. Somebody need that today? Jesus putting a hand on those shoulders, looking you right in the eye. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I hear you. I see you. I know I feel the tension and the distress and the trauma, and I feel it, I understand it, and I'm coming. Most likely in ways that you didn't expect and in a time frame that you didn't anticipate, but I'm coming to Latha Kuhn. And I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning reflecting on this. Where are the areas in our life, especially during these 40 days of fasting and prayer, where do you sense Jesus saying to you these days, Talethakum, wake up, arise, open your eyes. Or maybe more poignantly, where are the spaces where we might be struggling with spiritual narcolepsy? Where we're just like, physically going through life, but spiritually just maybe out cold. Like Jairus' household, they're physically all about it. They're laughing at Jesus. <laughs> they're counseling Jesus, don't bother. Like, what? Spiritual narcolepsy. They're completely out cold. The Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth. Colossians 1 says that holds this world together by the word of his mouth. That Jesus is coming to your house. I think there's a telethakum in all of that. I know it is for me. So I spent the last few weeks just thinking about what? Like Ephesians 5 says it this way. Paul said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead that Christ might shine on you. Wake up, O sleeper. Like where is that? It's the spirit of Jesus saying to me, wake up, Simpson. Open your eyes. See what's going on. Talethakum. Where is that happening for you? I wrote down two things for me and I think perhaps for us together to reflect on, and then we'll give kind of some action items for the week ahead. When I got to this part in preparing the message, I thought, you know, I want to call an anesthesiologist friend of mine, and I want to ask him about the process of how people wake up. So I called a friend who's an anesthesiologist, and I said, hey, doc, you know, I we had a little small talk, and I said to him, I said, hey, now, I know you really get paid to put people to sleep, but I actually think you make your money waking them up. <laughs> just saying. I said, Doc, a really good anesthesiologist isn't just going to put you to sleep. He said, fair enough. You know, he said, he laughed. He said, well, a lot of people can just, you know, put people to sleep and knock them out. He says, we really make our money waking them up. 
I said, tell me, Doc, about the stages of how a person wakes up. I got my pen and paper out. I want to hear this. He said, well, the first step, he said, the first step that happens when a person is sound asleep, he says the medication that they apply, he says it's like it separates the brain from the rest of the physical body. That's what it has to the medication, like you just kind of separate, and that's how they're able to work on all the body. They basically put the brain and disconnect it from the physical body. How that, That's crazy. And he says, but the process of waking up is a process of reconnecting everything. So he said the first stage happened, he says they, the person opens their eyes, and there's this focus He says, you would call it as a a person on the street would say, it's the deer in the headlights look. If you're parenting young people in your household, it's that look when you say, hey, could you pick up your room? Could you do your homework? Could you be attentive on, (laughs) come on, somebody feeling me, mom and dad. And they look at you like you're speaking a foreign language from another planet. Did anybody see those dishes downstairs? Did anybody see that pile of something over here? And uh, I got really good at that with my mom. He said it's, it's the, the eyes open, but they're not like focused on anything. They, he says sometimes an eye will go this direction, another eye will go this direction. They're opening their eyes, but they're not focused. There's this focusing stage that happens. He said the second thing that happens is alignment, focus and alignment. He said the alignment is the eyes start coming together and there started to be a connection in the brain that they begin to align to an object. You move from the deer in the headlights to actually focusing in. He would say as anesthesiologists opening up their eyes, they might focus and you recognize they see you as the doctor working on them. There's a focus alignment, which moved to the third stage, awareness, he said. Awareness is this, that all the pieces begin to get reconnected between the brain and the body, and they become situationally aware. For those of you who had surgeries recently, you probably remember some of these stages, right? Where you're kind of like coming to, but you're not quite all there, anybody, right? And then you become increasingly focus, alignment, and awareness, like who you are, where you are, and what's going on. Anybody been there? Sometimes it happens in a small way when you have one of those really deep, deep sleeps, and you get into such a deep sleep, and you're woke, you woke up suddenly, and you're like, what day is it, and where am I, what's, right, you have those, like, what's going on? Focus, alignment, awareness. Now, something inside of Pastor Eric, well, oh my goodness, like, preaching, what, that's like, that's crazy. Look at, listen to that. Focus, alignment, awareness. To Lathakum. Church, what I want to know is where's that going on in all of our lives right now? What's starting to get in, become into focus that's maybe just been so fuzzy for so long? Just kind of caught up in whatever noise and distraction. Like what? Like spiritually, I've got one eye going this way, one eye going that way. Like what's starting to maybe get into alignment? When are you, what's starting to like become clear and get aligned in your hearts these days? Or perhaps in the awareness stage, like aware like who you are and what's going on and the direction your life's going. Is there any of that stuff going on? 
focus alignment awareness to Lathakum. I wrote down two things off of that conversation and reflecting on Mark 5, and I put them in your notes this way. The first thing I wrote down was, I think there's a waking up to our old normal that's happening. At least it's happening in my life. I think it's happening in others' lives. Old normal. You know with the old normal, that's our phrase we use around, right? The new normal, right? Whatever that is. But we all, don't we all like kind of reminisce about the old normal? Like I miss some things about the old normal, genuinely. Like pre-2020 is what I'm referring to. Does anybody remember like life 2019 and before? Like I miss some things. Like I miss seeing people's whole faces. I love seeing your faces. It's not that you don't have a beautiful top third of your face, but I enjoy seeing your whole face. I was just interacting with a couple before service today, and I, complete, I had them as a couple from Montana that I had met two weeks ago because they looked the same top third of their face. They looked just like the other couple. I know, right? They were so gracious and kind, but that is happening to anybody else. Greeting people in a store and someone says, hey, Eric, from across the way, I look around. I have no idea who that is because all I see is a gray mask. Ah, I just long for the day when we can actually see holistically a face. Or does anybody kind of long for the day when you can like greet someone and not feel like awkward? I don't know how else to say it. Like, what do you do? You have this people like, do I like air hug? Do I like this? Do I? I miss that. Well, you could just greet someone and not feel like you're crossing all these like whatever barriers or personal whatever issues. I was trying to greet someone recently and I thought I was being kind and gentle and the person went like this and then like, I'm like, whoa. I was just trying to say hi. I miss that. Does anybody else? That's our old normal stuff. I, I miss the old normal, like when you could actually consider the thought of going to a concert that's not at a drive-in movie theater. What is that? I miss Ignite camps and mission trips and worship gatherings without masks. Does anybody miss like corporate worship without your mask? <laughs> I know you are because we're hearing plenty about it, but anyway, it's okay. Yes. We miss those things. It's a wonderful thing to reflect, and there's some good, like about our old normal that, of course, we miss, reminisce about, and by God's grace, we'll get back to someday some of those things, right? But I want to press us deeper for a moment, and I want us to think together about the old normal kind of, I think, below, I think the Talitha Kum is a deeper layer. I'm wondering if some of the ways God is coming to us through all that we're enduring in 2020, I wonder if there's an, a wake-up to what our old normal really was. I wonder if there's a wake-up to the direction our old normal was taking our lives. I wonder if God's trying to extract us out of an old normal, and here I am begging to go back. Does that sound like anybody in the, familiar with their Old Testament storyline? Ex- God's extracting me from something, pulling me away, taking me into something I can't quite figure out, and I'm begging Him to go back. 
In the Old Testament storyline, it's the book of Exodus when he's pulling them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they spent all the time in the desert because the gap between leaving Egypt and entering the promised land, there's a big gap, 40 years. Heaven forbid, Lord, not 40 years. We'll see. 40 years for them. It was called wilderness. Wilderness is hard. Wilderness brings some things to this. Wilderness like refines. In the Exodus storyline, the wilderness was to extract them from Egypt and along the way extract Egypt from them. I've been asking, Lord, is there a telethacum that's going on where you're trying to extract us from the old normal? An old normal, to give a a moment for our, our cultural moment that we were in, heading into 2020. Heading into 2020, sociologists and psychologists' commentary on North America was, quote, the most anxious nation in the world. That's our old normal. The most anxious nation in the world. Our suicide rates going into 2020, and now 2020 continue to climb up and to the right, especially 30 and under. Breathtaking ways. Our addiction, our, the addiction cycle going on in our culture is just going off the charts, especially in the opioid crisis and the mental health crisis that's pushing the boundaries of our healthcare system. That's old normal stuff. That's the direction all these things were going. The family unit in North America fracturing and disintegrating around a crisis of identity, a discussion in which we don't even know how to define marriage, where we've got humans getting together and saying, we're going to define marriage when God is the one who created it and said, this is what it is. And we've got a family unit disintegrating around the definition of marriage, the definition of family, fracturing around abandonment and addiction and all the things that come with it. This is our old normal. This is what I think below the surface. God's saying, Talethakum, I'm pulling you out of a pattern of living that if we just would take a step back and go, directionally, where were we all going? Would we say, deep down, we're living the flourishing life that Jesus called us to live? Were we experiencing a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light? Ian's message two weeks ago, where we experienced the presence of the Lord in our dailiness of life. Justin's message from last week, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Were we headed directionally that way, or was it filled with what I think the cultural commentary is? A life of secularism and materialism and individualism and narcissism and consumerism. You go down all the other isms. All the other isms. And I think God is using. I'm not saying He's caused everything in 2020. I just want you to picture for a moment. Could God be sending a wave of Talethacum after a wave of Talethacum after a wave to North American shores? Do you remember like back in March what it was like when the first reality started to hit? Like there's this thing called COVID that we thought was overseas and now all of a sudden it's on our shores. And then literally within a week or two's time frame, it was just everything was shut down. And like schools are closed, churches are closed, businesses are closed, and you're all like locked in your homes. And you're all looking around going, what is going on? And how did this happen? Like everything just shut down. 
You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. You were just locked into your four walls. Do you remember that? Some places in our country and around the world still that way for the most part. And then on the heels of that wave, later in spring, early summer, there's this wave of social injustice and, and the racial riots in the streets and the George Floyd incidents and Breonna Taylor incidents and all the upheaval that's happening in the early part of the summer. Just another wave. There's a Talitha Kum saying, look, awaken, see, like what's going on here? And then there was a third wave that you could put in the natural disasters going on in our country where you go, you look on the West Coast, it's got fires ravaging the West Coast, and you look down on the Gulf Coast, you've got hurricanes and floods going on. Midwest, you've got winds wiping out crops, and you just go, could it be Talitha Kum, just all the natural disaster just, just churning all through our land? And then perhaps the latest wave here as we head to the fall, we've got this political wave that's going on that just seems to be swallowing up all of our mindsets. Everybody's just kind of caught up in the tension and the drama and the division and the angst around our election cycle. You see, could there just be a wave after wave after wave? And I think there's something underneath this church that's a, a telethicum, wake up to our old normal. And to say, hey, if we just continued on the path that we were on, where is this taking us? And I think God's stepping in. And I think God stepped in through the sequence of these events saying, hey, open your eyes and see. I'm pulling you out. I'm turning you back. And you're like the Israelite. You just want to go back to what was. Nope. I think it's this. We have to trust this church. That in God and His sovereignty, He's plucking us from what used to be. And he's taking us on a journey of, to what will be. And we have to trust him for that. And we have to heed his guidance and counsel and direction right now. This is that Second Chronicles 7, 14. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to pray. We've got to, we've got to repent and confess the ways we've just been going about life and neglecting his purposes and calling and just caught up with self and just all the pride and air, like all of it. Like we've got to own it. We've got to be honest before a holy God. Wake up to our old normal. I think that's a big part of what's going on. I think there's focus, alignment, awareness coming right there. I think our eyes are starting at least some level. We're all in different stages of it. Some of us are kind of just like maybe deer in the headlights over the whole thing. Some of it's becoming a little more alignment. And some are like maybe through this 40 days just situationally aware. You're like, ah. I see it more clearly now than ever. Yes. I think it's Talitha Kum. Jesus, arise. Look at this. The way you were going about your life is not the flourishing vision of Jesus that he had outlined. And the experience we have right now is, I think, biblically what's called wilderness. And this is going to test us, and this is going to refine us, and this is going to shape us. It's ironic when you study cultural history, like the modern Western achievement society was all built on the Enlightenment era, Enlightenment principles. Since post-World War II, we've been the center of world power with all of our military strength and all that post-World War II. We're the center of everything. And it was built on this principle. We have enough human knowledge, human wisdom, and human strength. We can get together, pool all that knowledge, push God to the edges. We can create our own promised land. That's what I think the cultural commentary is going on right now. And I think Talitha Kum is this. Perhaps that's not working so well. Because our land was built on, in God we trust. Our country was founded to be a city on a hill. And the constitution of our own land 
is to lead and rule in righteousness in the fear of God. And church, I'll just say to you, we're a long ways from that. And could it be, could it be 2020 to Lathacombe? Your old normal, you must leave it. You can't return to it. You don't go back to that. You trust God extracting you to, by His grace, a new, better, more God-centered normal. Second thing I wrote down was a wake-up to restoration. John Eldridge, in his latest book, Take Back Your Life, which I commend to you, outstanding read. John Eldridge wrote it this way, relief, the tension I've been, I wrote down on this was the, diff, the, the, the tension between relief and restoration. Relief is momentary. It's checking out, numbing, sedating yourself. Television is relief. Eating a bag of cookies is relief. Tequila is relief. Got real quiet now, didn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Pastor just say tequila. You want me to put what else you want me to put in there? Bourbon, Bud Light. You want me to keep going? I talked to some of the local business owners around here, and they said alcohol sales are off the charts. They said, we know how people are getting through quarantine. Said, yeah, good point. They said, Pastor, they ain't reading their Bibles. Fair enough. Tequila's relief. Let's be honest. Relief is what we reach for because it's immediate and usually within our grasp. Most of us turn there when what we really need is, hear this, restoration. I think there's a Talitha Kum Jesus is orchestrating now to say, hey, the way you've been reaching for temporary relief in your life, what you're really longing for is the promise I give you of restoration, the restoration of all things. Do you feel it inside of you, church? Like there's a longing for the way this world is functioning. We just go, Jesus, would you just restore all things? And his promise is he will restore all things. But I know for me, I settle for the temporary relief of restoration. I settle for the looking forward to whatever Netflix series and checking out. And you just, what? And God's like, hey, how's that working? To press beyond what is within our reach that might be a temporary relief. And because we're a fairly well-off society in suburban North America, we have a lot of things within our reach. And to say, could it be the things we've been reaching for, the Telethaku moment is not the restoration that Jesus promises. I think there's a deeper. Could it be the, the husband and father who's been running around on his wife looking for what, relief in all those other relationships? Could it be the emptiness in the soul that rises morning after morning? Could it be deep down, there's a longing for restoration? Or could it be the wife and the mother just looking at the bottom of another wine bottle, empty, getting up the next morning, feeling like she's feeling? Could it be you're not looking for what that bottle provides? You're looking for God. You're seeking deep down a restoration of the way things are supposed to be, and you're trying to settle it for relief. I think there's a wake-up in this for us all, myself included. A Talitha Kum. To the way things are supposed to be. It's what David said in Psalm 23. He said it this way, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Only God can work with the restoration of the soul. A new job pursuit isn't going to fix it. 
a new relationship isn't going to fix it, a new bottle of whatever isn't going to fix it, those are not going to touch the restoration on the inmost that God has placed there to be satisfied in Him. And I think it's Talitha Kum. Our thirsty and fatigued souls are really looking for God. And for me, fasting has surfaced a lot of this. For me, during the last 20 plus days, it's kind of, it's drawing attention. It's like exposing my temporary relief mechanisms. That's what fasting's been doing. Like the things I just looked a temporary relief on, and it's pressing me to look deeper and to hunger for God. How different would my life be if I was as hungry for God as I was hungry for that quarter pounder of cheese and fries? How different would it look? And so, worship team, why don't you come on back up? I'm just going to wrap up with this today, church. I want us to spend these next seven days fasting and praying on Talitha Kum. Where are you hearing Jesus say to you, arise, open your eyes, wake up, focus, alignment, awareness, see like Jairus and his family, like maybe we're just so focused on the here and now and just getting through whatever the crisis of the moment is. And maybe Jesus is saying, hey, he's coming to our house. He's going to deal with some things. He's going to set some things right. What does he want us to see? And then simultaneously, maybe spend some time this week praying about where are the areas you're most tempted to simply roll over and go back to sleep? to just spiritual narcolepsy, just, I'm out. I want you to pray into that, fast into that, seek God into that, and let's trust Him for a Talitha Kum moment, not just in our own hearts. Let's trust Him for it for our community. Let's trust Him for it for our nation. Let's trust Him for it for this world. That God can bring revival and He can bring awakening in a way that's unmistakably a movement of His hands. Like Mark 5, No one left Jairus' house without commentary about when Jesus shows up, he changes things. I believe he still does that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation to come and seek your face. Thank you for your grace that you don't give up on us when we're caught up. I think about the Israelites when they were groaning in their slavery and you just heard their cries and you You heard their groanings. Thank you for the ways you've come to rescue and heal and extract us from what used to be. Forgive us for all the ways, forgive me for all the ways I just grumble and whine about wanting to go back. And give me the grace to open up my eyes to see. Bless us with focus, alignment, and awareness to what you're doing. Give us spiritual eyes to see give us a heart to believe you can come and change what is give us the faith to believe what will be we ask it in Christ's name amen